Well, good morning. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, song and praise, worshiping the Lord through song and praise is a beautiful thing. Now I think I understand a little bit more why uh, why many of the psalms are, are actually song, songs that uh, David had sung. Because, you know, just hearing that song and, and worshiping to the Lord in that way just a minute ago, you know, that, that's, that's, that's the heart of what it's all about as far as that's what he wants from us. As that song saying, pouring out your heart to the Lord, right? And as we'll, we'll see in uh, the message today, it's unfortunately the unwillingness of those who refuse to pour out their heart to the Lord God Almighty, which is going to bring about uh, the end of this planet as we know it. Hopefully this week has found you well, and uh, no matter what struggles you've been through, praise God that he's still on the throne, amen, and that you can trust in him with not only your life, but with the lives of those around you. All right. This morning we will be in Revelation chapter 6. We're going to be walking through the first six verses. I've entitled this message, The Seven Seals. This is part one. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to just uh, receive from the Lord what he has for us in this portion of scripture and uh, see how this is very applicable to our lives personally and the day and age that we're living in uh, presently. So with that, if you can stand for the reading of God's word, we're in Revelation chapter six, verses one down through six. And it reads, now I watched when the lamb opened one of the seven seals and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud, with a voice like thunder, come, and I looked and behold, a white horse and its rider had a bow and a crown was given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. Verse three, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second, second living creature say, come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth. So that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales on his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we, we tremble before you in reverent fear and awe of who you are, or that's how our hearts should be. Lord, when we look at this text, it's clear that, Lord, you're a jealous God. And that your desire is that your creation honor you 
in not just word, but in deed. And Lord, as we go through this text this morning, Lord, would you give us that reverent fear of you? It's not a fear as far as being scared, but just as a child respects and honors their parent. Lord, you are our creator. And that should, that should be striking to us. We should stay as far away from sin as possible because you clearly tell us that it mars our lives. Or we want to have healing in our lives. We want to have healing for our families. We want healing for the land that you've allowed us to live in. But Lord, that only comes by repentance and, and, and re- true revival in, in one's heart. So Lord, please... Show us again how important or these warnings are. And that if we hear your voice, which we should, because your word is living and active, may we not harden our hearts. May we receive what you have for us, the rich blessing in Jesus Christ that you have for us this morning. And today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow may be too late. Later today may be too late. For none of us know when we will leave this earth. May we know that we're right with you. May we be willing to make plans but ready to die at any moment to go before you. Because that's where we're all headed. One day we are all going to go before you. May we have clean hearts before you. So Father, I thank you and I love you. I pray this all in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen. This is a, this is a heavy portion of scripture well not like any scripture is not heavy there is much weight attached to the bible for what it can do it rightfully divides between the thoughts of man the deeds of man our intentions and it exposes us for what we truly are now It's not a negative thing, but we need to understand that apart from Christ, there is no hope. There is no hope. There is no hope for this world. People look at the situation of society and the world at large, and people tend to ask this question so many times, well, why are these things happening? Many times it is because the nature of sin the fallen nature of sin. Now, there are some instances where the Lord has allowed, as the scriptures talk about, a, a man being blind. And, and, and the people ask, well, why is he blind? Did his parents sin? Because, you know, we have to understand the ancient Jews, they, they believed every single thing wrong in the world was because of sin. And if the person was born a player, paraplegic or a cripple, it had to be because of sin. But Jesus made it perfectly clear that sometimes those things are allowed to happen because it will allow Jesus Christ to manifest his glory and his greatness in and through a, 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 a difficult situation and circumstance like that. Last week, we looked at uh, our text and it, and it depicted Jesus Christ as the lamb that was slain. And that was, that was such a beautiful uh, just portion of scripture And reiterating the the importance of Jesus being that perfect spotless lamb. And that with him, sins are forgiven past, present, and future. And and the beauty of that. And how we need to cling to him. Because he's the only one that can cure our wretched situation. Nobody wants to go to hell. Nobody wants to 
be in darkness for eternity. Nobody wants to face God's wrath and be in torment forever. But if you die in your sins without being right with God through repentance and believing that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins and raised from the dead, you will go to hell. It just it is what it is. I, have no, I take no pleasure in saying that. But we have to really grasp this concept and it should move us to start getting active where we're at. Because we all have family members that aren't saved. We all have co-workers that aren't saved. We all have people that live in our neighborhoods that aren't saved, in our communities. And how shameful for us as Christians, we call ourselves that, and we aren't willing to open up our mouths and speak with people. If we are ashamed of Jesus Christ before men, be sure when you go before or I go before God the Father, Jesus Christ will be ashamed of us. And it's that heavy. It's that real. It should be, it should move us. You see why the Apostle Paul, uh, even uh, John the Baptist, all these, these great men of the Bible were moved in such a mighty way because they recognized the depth and the importance of who Jesus Christ was and the depravity of mankind apart from him. Last week we uh, learned that, uh, again, the lamb that was slain, Jesus Christ, is the only one worthy of opening the seven seals and to read the contents of the scroll. And that in heaven he will be worshipped with a new song and all of creation will bow down in submission to him, whether on the earth, in the sea, under the earth, all of creation will worship him. Today we will look at the first three seals being opened. What is described is the unfolding events leading to the final righteous judgment of God upon those who willfully reject his son, Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not talking about those who we all stumble. Amen. <laughs> we all stumble. We all, uh, you know, none of us are perfect uh, this side of heaven. And we all are in the sanctification process as believers in Christ. But what this is speaking to is those who have, in a sense, raised a clutched fist to the heavens and said, I will defy you, God. I will not bow my knee. I will not humble myself before you. I, I want to live my own way. I either don't believe there is a God or I create my own God in my own image or I create myself as my God. This is for those who live a lifestyle of willful rejection of Jesus Christ. As we go through this study, I, I truly want you to recognize how serious of an offense it is to God the Father when we willfully reject His Son, Jesus Christ, and the salvation He offers. You see, there will be no excuse when we go before our Heavenly Father. We live in a beautiful country. We live in a country with freedoms that are not known to others around the world. I don't even know what the statistic is now, but pretty much every home has a Bible. Every home has a Bible. People are familiar with the Bible, the Word of God. They're familiar with Jesus Christ on the cross. But yet, only so few truly accept Him as the payment for their sin or even think that they even have a sin condition. Many people, if you ask them, they will say that they're a good person. Well, I don't 
I haven't killed anybody. I haven't raped anybody. I don't steal. All we have to do is go to the Ten Commandments. <laughs> if you've ever said OMG, you've blasphemed the name of God. If you've ever told a lie, you're a liar. If you've ever had sex before in marriage, you're a fornicator. If you've ever looked at a woman or a man lustfully in your heart, then you've already committed adultery in that. So it's very serious, these things that we see. But see, the hope is that we have a Savior that has died in our place so that all those things can be wiped away, so we can be filled with joy, so it doesn't have to be all doom and gloom. But I come in this sober state this morning because it is very sad to know that people are passing every day and they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a a statistic, a current statistic, that states that only 18% of Christians read their Bibles every day. How, how can that be? If the Word of God is our sword, and it's living and active, sharper than any sharp sword, <laughs> and this is our offensive uh, tool that we utilize, how is it that only 18% of so-called supposed Christians only read their Bible once a day. And at that, maybe it's only a verse from a Bible app. (laughs) We need to get depth in our walk with the Lord. We need to prioritize our relationship with Jesus Christ. If we give him the crumbs of our time, what does that say about how we value him? It says we don't value him very much because the reality is we make time for what's important. And if we're not spending quality time with Jesus Christ, then that means we don't really value our relationship with him. Amen. Hey, the Lord, he's going to speak to the young ones. She ain't going to lie. That's cool. I like that. Amen. <laughs> the first main point is this. And like I said, I want you to understand that I don't stand up, in, up here taking any pleasure in what I believe the Lord has shown me in the text, but I, I cannot lie, and I cannot, I cannot water down the reality. You know, I believe that us being alive now, being able to read this, this side of all these things occurring, is a big warning and a big rebuke. And it's to the church. It's to the church. It's to those who claim to be followers of Christ, but it's for our own good. It's so we can be ready and be prepared as these things begin to unfold. But the first main point is this. Before Jesus Christ comes back, things are going to get a lot worse. They are going to get a lot worse, folks. This is not a vacation. This is not just some, you know, I'm going on a cruise and everything's carefree. It's real. People's souls are going to hell for eternity. Your soul, if you're not right with Jesus Christ and you don't have a real relationship with him, your soul will go to hell for eternity. It's that serious. You see, over the past two and a half years, we've all been affected by this whole coronavirus. I mean, it's spun this society inside out, upside down. Our daily lives being altered. We're like a yo-yo. 
up and down with all these mandates being instated and then being lifted and then being instated again. You know, currently, where, where are we? Santa Clara County. Man, of all places in California. <laughs> they don't want to let go. I could go visit my in-laws in Fresno. I don't got to wear a mask indoors anywhere. <laughs> but here, they won't relinquish control. You see, many, if not all people, are longing for life to return to what it once was pre-pandemic, pre-coronavirus. No more masks, no more restrictions, no more vaccines. And the reality is we know that the world is not going to end like this. So at some point we will move forward from all of these mass mandates and all these restrictions. But the reality is we are never going back to life as it was before the pandemic. We're just not. And the reason I say this is because all you have to do is look into the scripture and allow the Holy Spirit to reveal to you the text as it is. Not just this text, but just the Bible in itself. And if you look at the Bible, a common theme alongside of Jesus Christ being the Savior of the world is that we are on a timeline, God's timeline. And every passing day, we are inching closer and closer to his final judgment and his return and the end of this world as we know it. And as I was studying this week, the Lord gave me a simple example. But I, but I believe the simple things are very uh, potent and, and, they, and they serve a good point. The Lord brought to my attention a balloon. We're all familiar with balloons, right? <laughs> I have a client that he's like, I don't ever get the Mylar balloons anymore. He's talking about the, the balloons at uh, Disneyland that are so expensive. But a balloon, right? You don't have to be a rocket scientist to understand this, but you can only put so much air in a balloon before it what? Before it pops, right? <laughs> before it pops. There is a limit. You push too much air into that balloon past the limits of what it can hold, and it is going to burst. It is going to explode. It's not a matter of if, but when, right? It's not a matter of if, but when, too much air goes in that balloon, it's going to explode. And that's what's going on right now with sin in this world. The depravity of mankind and our carnal nature out of control. Depravity and recklessness has its limits with God. It truly does. As you can see, Again, it doesn't take someone to be the sharpest knife in the drawer to just look out at the landscape of the world and see that things are getting worse and worse and they're not necessarily getting better. It's just true. Again, I don't take any pleasure in sharing this, but it is the truth, whether you want to see it for that or not. And once sin has reached its limit with God the Father, that will be it. At that time, final judgment and justice will be rendered and served to every human being who ever existed. This is going to happen. And those who are walking on the earth at that time will see firsthand the wrath and the vengeance of a righteous God. 
Genesis chapter 6, verse 3 says, Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. Here we see this example in Genesis that God loved his creation. He loves his creation. He loves mankind dearly. But he is sickened. And in this context, he was sickened with their behavior and could only take so much of it. That his patience with mankind was at a breaking point. And then came a point when the floodwaters had to be sent. And just like when the floodwaters were sent in Noah's day, Jesus Christ will return when that breaking point has come. And those who are going to be saved are saved. And everyone else who's still here that's unsaved, they're not going to have that opportunity. Matthew chapter 24 Verses 37 down through 39 says, For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. You know, what strikes me so much in that text is that it says in verse 39 that they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. They were unaware until it happened. And today we are living the same way. People are unaware. It's amazing how many people really don't know the truth of the gospel. And I, I thought that, I, you know, I didn't think it was like that. I, I find people on my job, they don't have any clue about the gospel, you know, because that's what Satan does. He makes a little bit of truth with a whole lot of error. And then people run around thinking that they know the truth and they don't know anything about what the Bible says. But we as believers, true believers in Christ, we have the opportunity to come alongside people and encourage them and share with them the love and the truth of Jesus and, and be used by the Holy Spirit to point them in the direction where they can find true salvation. I mean, that's really the only reason why we're still here living or else we would have already been gone too. But when you hear that text, you got to think to yourself, if that's not a warning of coming judgment, then I don't know what is. I mean, you know, the Lord doesn't pull any punches. This is not some cryptic scripture. <laughs> right? Where it's mystical and we got to really try to figure out what's going on. He just says clearly, as in the days of Noah, it will be when the Son of Man returns. You see, today's, in today's life, God's patience still has its limits. I quote this verse a lot, but it's clear here in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I mean, again, it's crystal clear. When we read this verse, we clearly see God's desire is for all people to repent. He's a good God. He's a righteous God. He sees that sin has marred his creation and that there's been a break in the relationship and he's made as the bible says propitiation for our sins to be forgiven through jesus christ and that's why he says come to him to seek forgiveness 
But this text is very important because it points out that there, there will be ones that perish. There will be ones that perish. Not everybody's going to heaven. There are unfortunately some that are going to go to hell. The Bible is clear. And that's what these seals being opened is all about. Those who refuse. Those who choose to deny the love of God and say, I'll go it alone. Or I'll, I'll deal with going before God in my own way. I don't need Jesus. And, the, and, and the, the sad thing about that is that's treating his blood as common and trampling upon his blood as if it means nothing at all. When it's, it is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You see, in him we have all things. We need him more than the very air that we breathe. And that's why when the four gentlemen, the friends that carry their, 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 their friend on the mat, they dropped him down through the roof. Jesus saw the friend's faith. And he said, because of your friend's faith, you are forgiven of your sins. I heard a great message this morning and the pastor was talking about, you know, if we would have been in that crowd, we would have been shocked. What? This man has been crippled forever. Wouldn't he just heal his body first and then give him a message and then give him a sermon? But you see, Jesus is so wise. What he reveals in that is that your eternal, my eternal destiny and where we will spend it is so much more important than your body being crippled. Where you spend eternity far greater think about that the next time you're going through a difficult day and you're having a very hard time is jesus still on your side does he love you is he providing for you if you could say amen to that then you need to just trust in him and know that your eternal destiny is secure and that you're just going through difficult times in this life it's part of walking through a fallen world that we live in the second main point is this and I don't apologize for this because the Bible is clear. So please strap on, <laughs> get strapped in. Because if you think it's already raw right now, this message is only going to get raw. Trust me, I've been going through it this whole week. The second main point is this. Peace on earth is a gift from God. You see, even now we are currently living in what is known as the dispensation of grace. Though things are, are getting closer and closer to God, removing peace from the earth... We still have peace to some extent. You see, when this second seal is opened, there will no longer be peace upon this earth. Many people are familiar with uh, this verse and people quote it all the time around Christmas. Luke chapter 2 verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. You see, the reality is this. No matter people admit it or not, everybody wants peace. Right? Everybody wants peace. Some people sing about it. <laughs> right now we have other people that are marching about it. <laughs> and they're organizing groups of people to chant and, you know, all this and that because they want peace. You see, countries fight for it. But the fact remains, only Jesus Christ can give you and me true, lasting peace. You see, he is peace. 
So if you don't have him, you don't have peace. I know y'all have seen the bumper sticker. No pieces, uh, no Jesus, no peace, right? I mean, it is that simple. It is really that simple. You see, but here in our text, because of the overflow of sin, peace will eventually be taken once and for all from this earth. Mankind will act out with no restraint against one another. No restraint. We feel like it's already like that. <laughs> I mean, I, read, I look at the news. I'm just like, I'm sickened. You know, um, the Holy Spirit inside of me is grieved. I mean, the grotesque things that, that, that they, just, they, just, they just come up on the screen. And, you know, this person arrested for this and this person doing that. And, and the, the, the debauchery and the depravity of, of, of men, uh, mankind, men and women. I'm not just singling out men, but just humans. It's nauseating to see the wickedness at such an unparalleled level right now. We feel like it's already like this. But when what the text talks about, when this happens, it's going to be a whole nother level of wickedness. A whole nother level. I mean, I'm talking about when God removes his providential hand from the earth. And says, just have at it. What? I mean, it's just straight up bloodshed. People not caring. People killing each other. Doing whatever they want. I mean, I praise God that we still have government. I praise God that we still have laws. I praise God that we still have police, men and women. And people want to get rid of this. I mean, they've already taken out prayer from the schools. They've already taken out God from the Pledge of Allegiance. They've already taken out the Pledge of Allegiance. They've already taken out the Ten Commandments from the courthouses, you see. And this is what secular men and women of influence want because they cannot stand to be convicted of the sin in their own hearts. And this is all what we're seeing now is going to eventually lead to this act of God taking his providential hand away from the earth. Once again, this is the reason people need to get serious about their spiritual lives. This should strike the fear of God in you and drive you closer, running to Christ. It really should. It really should. Whenever you, whenever you witness something heinous or whenever you find something very convicting in the scripture, it shouldn't make you run from God. Because he has, we sing about it all the time, he has outstretched arms. He's lo- he wants to love on you. But he can't love on you and me if we're like, I'm not going to repent. <laughs> I want to come to you the way I am. He's like, nah, dude, you're super dirty. You're messed up. I'm trying to show you. I got the cure. Come to me. <laughs> and I'll clean you up. Again, the, the, this whole, this is not meant to scare you and drive you away from Jesus Christ. It's meant to propel you to him as your only source of hope, your only source of comfort, your only source of confidence. Because if you're living any other way, I don't know what you're doing. (laughs) 
I got no confidence in my own abilities. I got no confidence in money. I got no confidence in any of these things other than Jesus Christ. And he shows himself true time and time and time again in my life. I wish I could tell you all the things that I see all the time. It's, it's, he's a good God. We need to repent and receive Jesus Christ as our Savior before peace is gone. And for those of us that know people that don't know Jesus, we can be like those four good friends and bring our crippled friend to Christ. And you might say, how do you do that? Intercessory prayer, getting on your knees and praying for those who are lost, considering them, taking time to really be burdened for the brokenness of people around you and taking it serious. Maybe you can't save their souls. Maybe you can't drag them to this building. Maybe you can't get them to read their Bibles, but you can pray. You can pray. And don't give up just because it hasn't happened in two weeks. <laughs> We're like, man, Lord, you didn't answer the prayer. It's been, it's been two months, man. I got a hard life, man. I got to take care of my family. I got to do X, Y, and Z. I got to work this and that. You know, we're inconvenienced. <laughs> but the reality is he's like, no, nah, continue. That's what being steadfast. That's what long suffering's about. Not giving up just because you don't see it when you think the Lord should move. My, my, my stepfather's grandmother, she prayed for me for many years. She prayed for me even until she died. And I truly believe that she had a major part in the Lord moving and me getting saved and me being exposed to the gospel because somebody was praying for me. This woman was praying for me. She prayed for me. She prayed for me more than my mom. (laughs) She wasn't even blood. You know, but intercessory prayer is very important and it always makes the Lord smile. You want the Lord to smile upon your life? Pray for somebody else other than yourself. (laughs) It's so true. And the Lord will smile upon you with his favor. And you'll be blessed richly. Not necessarily in monetary means, but you're going to have the joy of the Lord and the peace of the Lord with you. And can't nobody steal that or rip that from you. (laughs) You're going to be enveloped with this joy of the Lord. And it's infectious. That's a beautiful thing. All right, the third main point is this. All these horrible events are Almighty God administering justice to a fallen world. The reality is God takes no pleasure in the destruction of a soul. But because he is holy, he cannot let people get away with sin. If sin is not confronted and destroyed within a person's life by the work of Jesus Christ upon the cross then they will be confronted by the wrath of God. And this is exactly what we see going on with these seals being opened. Since at this time, people who refuse to humble themselves and submit to the Lord, He has ultimately given them what their actions deserve. You see, living in rebellion, in opposition to Jesus Christ, will reap a harvest of death and destruction, spiritual and physical. We cannot go our own way and think we are living life. We are actually dying and bringing forth death at a faster pace when we live in rebellion and in sin. Just think of Pharaoh. He lived a continual lifestyle of hardening his heart. And it was confirmed 
by God handing him over to his depraved state for good. Because the scripture talked about Pharaoh hardened his heart and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And I remember a long time ago, I got into a conversation with someone and they were very upset with me because I told them that I believed that Pharaoh hardened his own heart. They said, well, no, God hardened his heart. God did it. And the other day, the Lord revealed to me that this is something where you see the, the hand of God in both things. Yes, Pharaoh hardened his own heart because of his own free will. And the Lord basically said after so long, okay, you don't want to repent. Then I'm going to give you what you want. So the Lord allowed these things to happen. So in that sense, it was not only Pharaoh, but the Lord did harden his heart in the sense of he gave him what he wanted. And so, again, when the Bible says today is the day of salvation, when you hear, when I hear God's heart, uh, God's voice, don't harden your heart. Don't harden your heart to what the Lord is revealing to you. Because he wants the best for you. And that starts with true repentance, turning to God and turning from our old actions and clinging to Jesus Christ. Amen? All right, <clears throat> let's look at these verses. Verses 1 and 2. Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder, Come! And I looked, and behold, a white horse and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. Okay, so the Apostle John was watching when the Lamb opened one of these seals. From the previous chapter, we understand this scroll is the history and destiny of mankind and creation. And only Jesus Christ, once again, the Lamb of God, had the right to loosen the seals. If the scroll details the end of history, then the things associated with the removal of the seals must happen before the scroll, the scroll excuse me, is actually opened. The seals have to be popped off in order for the scroll to be opened and unraveled to be read. This is ne not necessarily the fulfillment of history itself, but this is the preparation for it we see going on here. The actual culmination will be detailed in Revelation chapter 19. And the application is this. The opening of the seals is not just a declaration of what God will do, but it is an exhibition of his purposes being fulfilled. You see, whenever a seal is opened, the sentence of that judgment appears to be executed. So it has to happen. Like again, at that point, it's too late. It's already set into motion. He goes on and says, I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a loud voice like thunder, come and see. Again, each seal is associated with a living creature who called out, come. Or it could be translated, go forth to each horseman. Like, you go. You have your, mar your marching orders from the king of kings, now go. And behold, a white horse. The reality is, we need the Holy Spirit to rightfully divide and help us to understand God's word. I say that because some have interpreted this rider on the white horse to be Jesus Christ. Jesus does return on a white horse. We'll see in Revelation chapter 19 verses 11 down through 16. But this is not Jesus Christ here on this white horse. This is a satanic dictator who imitates Jesus. And I'll read Revelation 19 verses 11 through 16, just because I think it's important to have the framework 
of what's actually going on. So we know that we're looking at this scripture in context. It says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, one sitting on it called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, linen, excuse me, white and purple, were following him on white horses. From his mouth came a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. When you hear that, clearly do you see the difference? (laughs) Clearly there is an extreme difference between the two. Our text today, the one described, he rules with a bow, not a sword, and he exercises dominion over the earth. Hence, he went out conquering and to conquer. The results of his rule, as described in the following verses, clearly show that this is not the reign of Jesus Christ. You see, when Jesus Christ comes to reign, he will not bring famine and strife. This is very important for us to understand. You see, because how one interprets the book of Revelation shows a lot about how they understand just the entirety of God's plan and who the Lord Jesus Christ is. You can tell much about a person by how they interpret this book. You have those who think of the book of Revelation mostly of, as a book of history and that this writer is, is Jesus Christ. And then you have those who believe that this is a prophetic passage yet to be fulfilled and that the account of this writer is the Antichrist. Well, let's look at it from that context because I believe that this is prophetic and that this is not Jesus Christ on this horse. Again, we see this statement, he went out conquering and to conquer. Taking this to be the final satanic dictator over men, because we know that there's many antichrists, right? It's not just one. There were antichrists back in the Roman days. You mean way, way back in the day, talk to Daniel about it. He knows all about that. He's got the history. He knows all the details. There's been many antichrists. But in this context, final satanic dictator over men, we see that he will be more terrible than all the previous, all the previous dictators were. You see, he will rule over men as a false messiah and lead many men into organized rebellion against God. This is actually the pattern of a man named Nimrod, who was his predecessor many, many years before. He is one often called the Antichrist. The idea of a satanic dictator over men goes back to the days of Nimrod when he ruled over Babel in Genesis chapter 10 verses 8 through 14. I'm not going to read all those verses. I'll read 8 and 9. Cush fathered Nimrod, and he was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. You see, when when the text says that he was a mighty hunter before God, he was actually hunting men. He was a murderer. He would run out and kill men. That's how he rose to power. And this was a great offense to the face of God. It's interesting because a lot of young people, they don't even, 
you know, they don't even hear, you know, at least when I was coming up, you didn't want to be called Nimrod. <laughs> you know, at least what I understood, I didn't understand, I didn't know nothing about him killing people and him being, you know, the ruler of Babel, but I knew that Nimrod meant you were pretty stupid <laughs> and not smart. I don't even know if they use that name like that anymore, but it's just very interesting where we, you know, we kind of throw around words and this and that, but, you know, they have a biblical backdrop. So, yes, you do not want to be a Nimrod, <laughs> even in 2022. All right, next, we, hear, we see the text says, come and see. The modern political and social scene is certainly set for the emergence of such a political leader. Us today, I mean, you look at the state of what's going on and things going on in Ukraine and this and that. And, you know, you got the major players, you got Russia, you got China, you got all this stuff going on. This stuff is ready to pop off. It's ready to happen. All that is waiting is for the Lord to allow in his timing after he takes his church from this earth. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verses six to seven tell us, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he is out of the way. Significantly, the first seal open brings this dictated a prominence. Um, you kind of have to go back to da- uh, the book of Daniel to understand some of this stuff. I don't have time to go through the whole chapter, but, but um, Daniel chapter 9, it begins with this dictator being confirmed by a covenant referring to the Jewish people. Men, many wonder if the four horsemen of Revelation chapter 6 are connected with the 17th week of Daniel and the great tribulation itself or with the course of history that will open up until that time. The initial emergence of the Antichrist connected with what we know about this leader from Daniel chapter 9 shows that these four horsemen are connected with Daniel's 17th week and the great tribulation, 70th, excuse me. And so this is, again, this just reveals to us why we need to have a good grasp on the whole scope of the word of God because it all supports itself. Everything supports itself. It's just not one one thing out of the blue and that's why we have to understand and try to try our best led by the holy spirit to read the scripture in context that's why you can't just be in the word of god for five minutes because you're going to get some cross reference and then you're going to be off in some whole other thing and it's crazy i mean i would never thought i would i was i was in first chronicles chapter one for a long time this week and it's just genealogy but I finally started to understand why these things are written the way they're written. It's for our benefit so we can understand. And God's all through it. Before, 10 years ago, I'd be like, I'm not reading this. Where's God in this? But God is all woven all through these names. And it's just cool when you start researching what, what these things are about. So, again, the whole point is the whole Bible supports itself. Okay, uh, verses 3 and 4. When he opened the second seal... I heard the second living creature say, come, and out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. Another horse, fiery red, went out. And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth. This rider didn't need to bring war and destruction. All he needed to, needed to do was take peace from the earth. Once this peace, God's gift to man was taken, 
men quickly rush in with war and destruction. The application is this. Peace between men and among nations is a gift from God. It's a gift from God. John chapter 14 verse 27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Again, we are still living in the dispensation of grace, even though peace in this world is fleeting daily. You see, the reality is this. It is not a natural state of being to have peace relations between men. I mean, go back to Cain and Abel. They weren't peaceful. (laughs) Cain, Cain killed, murdered his brother because he was jealous of his offering. He didn't bring the, he didn't come in the right heart attitude to God. And so he would rather go to the Lord about it and figure out what he did wrong or talk with his brother. He said, I'm going to kill you. And so we see because of sin, it is an unnatural state for us to be at peace with one another. And here we see that it was granted that peace could be taken from the earth. This authority was granted to the horsemen. This is directly or indirectly the judgment of God that people should kill one another you see in our modern age our modern age is marked by war and conflict it's everywhere it's everywhere you know it's everywhere I'm sure many of you have people in your family that have served overseas in some degree many people that have done many tours and war is all around us. A fun fact is this. Since World War II, and this, this, may, this may be a fact that may need to be updated because now we're in 2022, but this is something I found that was interesting to me. Since World War II, there have been more than 150 wars in some kind or another in the world. And at any given time, there, are, there may be three dozen armed conflicts taking thousands of lives yearly. Not to mention just in our own country uh, here in America, all the inner turmoil like turf wars in cities all across america there's blood being shed all the time the nations of the world often spend more than one trillion dollars on military expenditures a year one trillion dollars just on security and and weaponry and whatever they're doing to be ready to combat That is mind-boggling. And people don't want to believe in Jesus Christ? What, this nuke's going to save you? (laughs) It's crazy. All right, last two verses. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come! And I looked, and behold, a black horse, and its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and wine. Okay, so we see this statement of a black horse, and he, 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 uh, and one who sat on it, he was holding a pair of scales in his hand. You see, biblically, the color black, unlike our modern concept of it, we think of evil as opposed to white, signifying uh, mourning and ill health as a result of scarcity. This was what was going on. 
There was going to be scarcity. There was going to be a famine that's going to take place in the earth in those days. The scale symbolized the need to carefully measure and ration food. Again, this, this speaks of a time of scarcity. I mean, you think about it even today, right? Uh, obviously, you know, the price of gas skyrockets. Uh, common goods, basic things are super expensive right now, right? Because the, the demand is high, but the productivity is very low. You see, so we're, we're seeing these things already, you know, uh, happening. But this is going to be very extreme. This is going to be very extreme. A quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. So we have to know what a denarius is and what's its value first. So it kind of makes more sense to us. So a denarius is a Roman silver coin that would have a modern value of about 74 cents. That's what a denarius would be worth. So a hundred denarius represents a hundred days of an agricultural worker who would have worked at least 12 hours a day. That's hard work. <laughs> that's hard work. Some of you work hard hours like that. Uh, you know, that's hard work out in the sun working hard. Now, in regards to the prices of wheat and barley, these prices are about 12 times higher than normal. It means that it would cost a day's wage to buy the ingredients for a loaf of bread. All that work and all you're getting is a loaf of bread. Barely just to sustain, sustain yourself. This describes a time of famine when life will be reduced to the barest necessities. The application is this. We often see great famine in the world today, yet few people suffer from hunger today than like 100 years ago. However, understanding the world's sensitive ecological balance, it would not take much to plunge many into this kind of scarcity and iniquity mentioned here. I mean, the pandemic almost did it, or whatever you want to call this thing we're in, right? Uh, they're locking down businesses. You can't do this. You can't do that. That's why the government opened everything back up, because they're like, we can't collapse. This thing is going to make us collapse. We're going to have an economic fallout if we don't open this thing up. I don't care if you're sick or not. You better go to work. <laughs> Healthcare workers, Barbara, you know all about that. They, they said, no, you're quarantining five days. Why? It has nothing to do with the virus. It has everything to do with there's not enough people to sustain everybody else who needs care. It's not just people that are sick with a virus. It's people that have cancer. It's people that need a brain, uh, you know, uh, surgery, people that need a heart transplant, all the regular normal stuff that goes on. And they could not shut down the healthcare system. We see this interesting statement at the end of this portion of scripture. And I'm ending with this, this point. Do not harm the oil and the wine. Olive oil and wine are not necessarily luxury items as many take them to be. We have to understand the culture in which they lived in those days. In the Mediterranean world, these are important supporting elements to the common diet. Deuteronomy chapter 7 verse 13 tells us, he will love you, bless you, and multiply you. He will also bless the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, your grain, and your wine, and your oil. The increase of your herds and the young of your flock in the land that he swore to give your fathers, uh, to give your fathers to give. And Haggai chapter 1 verse 11 tells us, And I have called for a drought on the land and in the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the grounds bring forth, on man 
and beast and on all their labors. So these were common these were common goods that were known to that culture. However, while they provide supplementary nutrients or nutrition, excuse me, people cannot live on them alone. They are a secondary food item and in the prophecy they remain plentiful. This leads to two possible conclusions. The first one is this. God is limiting the severity of the famine as the end has not yet come. You can read about that in Matthew chapter 24, verse 6. And these are the beginning of sorrows. Or more likely, he is indicating a measure of disparity and irregularity in these famines. Some foods will be scarce, while others will be abundant. You see, some people will be sorely affected by this, while others will hardly suffer at all. Some areas will be hit hard, while others will feel little impact. There is still oil and wine that should not be harmed. The reality is this. Today, think about your own life. I think of myself. If you took a shower this morning, and you cleaned your body with fresh water, if you had a meal to fill your belly, and if you put on clean clothes, may we realize that we are rich. <laughs> we are rich in Christ as he provides for us. They say many people in other parts of the world don't even live off a dollar a day. They have to travel 50 miles on foot to go to a well of water where the water's polluted. And they got to walk 50 miles back and probably get sick with malaria or some kind of other disease because they're using water that's not good. Yet we have all of these things to, that are provided for us. We are rich. We are rich in Christ. May we not take it for granted all the many provisions that our good God provides us, whether small or big. Amen? Because one day they'll all be gone. And like I said, I don't share this message. This, this was not brought to me to, to put fear in you to run. It, it, it's to put a reverent fear in you to, to run to God, <laughs> to run to Jesus, amen, and trust in Him and have a bold faith growing in strength and confidence in the Lord, amen? Because the days are evil and the time is short. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, uh, we just thank you, Lord, that you love us enough that you've left your word <laughs> that we could glean from it. You, show, you love us so much. You give us so many warnings. If this is not a warning of what's to come, I don't know what is. Lord, I pray for the people here under the sound of my voice that they, you would quicken their spirits, that they would just, that they would move to you closer every day that we would not take for granted the provisions that have been given to us many of us will will hang out after this in some form of fashion and enjoy the super bowl i pray that as we as we watch that game and just just hang out with people that we would remember that this peace that we're experiencing today is a gift from you that we would not take it lightly because one day it's all going to be stripped away Father, we give you all the praise, the honor, the glory that you deserve. Father, we pray this all in Jesus Christ's precious name. Amen.